to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome or welcome back to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. So pleased you could join us today. My name is Tim. I'm part of the team at Limitless, and I'll be your host for today's conversation, which is all about the how and the why of taking young people away on overseas mission trips. Should be a fascinating conversation, and we've got an incredible guest. But before I introduce him to you, I've got to remind you guys, Limitless Festival, come on now, it's just around the corner, it's very close now. I hope that you've got your young people booked in already, but if you don't, fear not, there's still time. The 5th to the 9th of August, 2023 on Staffordshire Showground, we are going to have an incredible week of community, of connection and of changed lives. So go to limitlessfestival.co.uk where you can get all your info, you can get your group booked in. I can't wait to see you there, Uh, but that's enough of that. Let me introduce our guest to you, uh, my good friend, Rich Ellerington. Rich, welcome to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. So good to be here, mate. Very excited to hang out with you for a little while. Yeah, uh, and, and really, really pleased you could, could make some time for this. Now, Rich uh, is a, a church planter. He's working overseas in a variety of nations. We're going to hear all about that uh, in just a moment's time. But most importantly of all, uh, Rich is also part of the Limitless Leadership team and has been for longer than I have. Um, probably for longer than I've been alive, actually. Um, <laughs> it's true. I, I, I've been well. Jesus, Jesus is the original member, and I'm member number two. Um, yeah. So we've been there for a while. We have indeed, and so grateful uh, uh, for that. So, Rich, before we track a little bit of your journey, because I think your story in, in youth ministry and in church leadership and in church planting is a really fascinating one from which we can draw a whole whole load. Richard, I'd love to hear, first of all, um, what is it that you're doing uh, right now? What's the what's the, the mission and ministry that you're involved in right now? So currently, I'm the international director for Surf Church Collective. Uh, so what that means is, is I help plant uh, and train leaders to plant churches in surf and beach destinations all around the world. So as a passionate surfer, um, I've always had this desire to be able to bring the gospel of, uh, of Jesus, the good news, uh, to my community, to my tribe. And I've been working with an organization called Christian Surfers since, well, for years. I mean, I, I joined them when I was around about 11 years of age. Um, so I've been part of this Christian Surfers uh, missional group for yeah. a very, very long time. And then we started this thing about planting churches because we just felt, okay, we've got this mission to the beach, but how do we get these people that were winning to Jesus into local church? And often we would find that local churches really struggled to accept and understand surfers. To illustrate it, uh, we had some guys get saved in El Salvador, our whole crew uh, that we then took to the local churches and the local churches said, uh, you need to... Um, wear a suit next week. It's great that you're here, but you need to wear a suit. You need to cover up your tattoos. You need to give up surfing and you need to cut your hair. Wow. And then you'll be okay to come to church next week. So, no <laughs> so what do you do? I mean, those the, those young surfers are not going to, uh, 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 you know, it was just done. So we had to plant a church for these for these young people to grow in their faith and uh, and start to journey in a community of faith. So I get to do that all over the world which is a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Yeah, so tell us uh, some of the nations uh, that, you're, that you're working in with the Search, search Church. Search Church? <laughs> with the Surf Church sure, sure, Collective. Sure. <laughs> with the Surf Church Collective. Yeah. That's the word, those are the words I'm looking for. So tell us some of the nations yeah. that the Surf Church Collective is working in uh, right now uh, uh, where, where you're you know, doing mission to the surf community and you're planting churches. So uh, at this very moment, I sit in uh, the southwest of France, a place called Hossegor, in this beautiful old chapel, um, uh, which is where our story began. So we're here in France, Hossegor. We are in the UK, um, down in Newquay and a couple of other places. We are in um, the Channel Islands. We're in the Canary Islands. We're in Portugal, um, Spain. Uh, Hawaii, California, Florida, um, 
uh, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Brazil. Oh man, the the list is great. A eh? Australia, South Africa, um, uh, uh, South Africa. That's right. I've just been uh, been there for the last two years. Got stuck in COVID. That's a whole crazy story. Yeah. Went there for two months. Ended up being there for two and a half years. <laughs> so we decided to help plant a church there for surfers, which was great fun. Um, so yeah. So basically, where there's where there's waves or where there's a beach and surfing community, which now with the invention of wave pools is in lots of different places, actually inland. Um, we're busy either planting a church, trying to plant a church, or trying to help churches that exist in those spaces be surfer friendly. So maybe maybe around about 15, 20 different nations. And it's truly a collective, isn't it, Rich? So it's not it's not a denomination, it's not a brand. You don't set up church in, in like in, in a certain way and slap a logo over the door. You know, it's not cookie cutter, um, you know, copy and paste yeah. church, is it? So maybe you could help us understand a little bit about how that works, but also like how is like a surf church different to what we might be familiar with, at least in the UK in terms of a traditional church format of, yeah. you know, sitting in rows and singing some songs and listening to a word and, you know, having coffee and all that kind of stuff. How, how might surf church like differ to that across the world? Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, I, I think the the starting place for me uh, began while leading a church in Western Superman, an amazing church called Holy Trinity, and uh, I had the privilege of leading that with my parents for a season and then taking over myself. And I would invite and bring lots of my surfing friends to come along to church. And we were, you know, it was a great church. It was rocking. We had, you know, great worship, great visuals, uh, it reasonably cool people <laughs> leading the intro and outro and, uh, you know, and, uh, those comedy moments in the sermons, you know, it was as, uh, as contemporary and as exciting as anywhere that I've been or seen, yeah. but my surfing friends would come in and just go, Oh, that was nice. Um, and you know, that was that, uh, yeah. it didn't seem to really kind of touch them where they were. And uh, if the surf was good or the weekend was about getting to the beach, then that's where they were going to be. Um, so I realized that actually what I was trying to do is I was trying to get my my friends to jump culture, to uh, step out of the surf world, which is a lifestyle that completely imbibes every aspect yeah. of, the, of their thinking, it's their culture, behavior, yeah. their attitudes. It's completely, uh, uh, it's a massive subculture. Yeah. It's, it's, of course, it's very mainstream these days. You see it everywhere. Yeah. But still, those who belong to the tribe belong to the tribe. Yeah. So I was asking them to drop their culture and then jump across into a, a very much a Christian culture with all sorts of secret codes to help, you know, that you need to understand to be able to sit within a service. So what does the offer, what's the offering about? Why are we singing songs at the beginning? What, who are these songs about? Um, what is, you know, when the sermon happens, you know, who's in, in the normal world, people don't sit and listen to somebody give a 30 minute spiel on, uh, 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 on something out of, you know, a text that's from thousands of years ago. So all of these things, if you've never been in that world is a big shock to the, to the, to the, uh, to your head, to your yeah. uh, to your way of thinking. So I'm asking those guys to jump into that space, and I just saw time and again that they were struggling. Some some made that jump, but many many didn't. Mm. So I was really kind of put out by that, and just what well, what can I do? Um, so it was very much an extension of stuff that we've been exper experimenting with already. I planted a church for skaters. I planted a church in a nightclub. I planted a church. Um, uh, in a coffee shop. So I thought I need to plant a church for surfers in their surf world. And that was contextualized mission. So it's basically helping them. The message doesn't change. Um, all that we're doing is we're bringing that message and placing it right at the heart of that culture. Um, so I, I think about why are we doing certain things within a church service, within yeah. a church community, and how does that connect to the culture? And uh, what are the things that we need to be counterculture in and what are the things that actually we can flow uh, uh, with the culture, yeah. um, uh, uh, and that just really helps with connecting yeah. surfers yeah. to the to the message of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, because because you know we we all know and understand that the church, it's not the building and the church isn't the service either. But what 
what do those gathered church moments, if you like, look like when you bring the church together, this community of surfers who are exploring faith or, have, or who have come to faith? What does it look like when you, when you gather? Well, it's different in different places all over the world. That, that's the beauty, as you said, of the collective. It's not a, a cookie cutter um, thing. So there's people meeting, you know, in by their thousands in some of the churches in the U.S. that would be big kind of mega church style uh, services. But everybody's in flip-flops and shorts and <laughs> got their surfboards in the back of the car and, you know, and the language of communication from the front will be about Jesus, but contextualized to just beach life. Yeah. Um, and then there's people meeting around a fire on the beach on a Sunday evening. Um, mm. uh, there's people meeting under palm trees in Costa Rica. Um, the commonality uh, uh, is a, a love for Jesus an exploration of what faith is for those who don't yet know Jesus. So all of our services tend to be around exploration as opposed to trying to give answers. I'd say that's a common theme. Right. Okay. Um, so it's more discussion based than didactic. Would you say? Um, it's it's both and, okay. uh, and there's, sp there's space for both. But what there yeah. is, is at the heart of it, 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 there is this understanding from those who are leading these churches that we're helping people discover faith as opposed to telling them what faith is. Yeah. So often um, uh, uh, we are answering questions that people are asking um, and services that are, are very, ministries that are very pulpit driven. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but um, uh, they, they're working on the premise of assumed questions. And yeah. I think one of the things that maybe that I've learned uh, working alongside Alpha for so many years is you've got to start with the questions that people are asking. Yeah. So uh, I like to think about surf church as a place where you can discover more in faith, mm. um, that you can go on a spiritual journey. And the job of the leaders is to help empower you to explore who God is and yeah, to find very answers. Good. Very good. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'd say that's a common Rather theme. Than right this across, is the vision right of our the church. How can you help us to fulfill it? Yes. Yeah. Like, how can we serve you and help you on the journey that you're on? Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, yeah. I think, I think you summarize it well. I think that the, the, the job of a pastor is to equip the saints to the work of the gospel. Yeah. And I would say that that is primarily what we try to uh, inspire, encourage and facilitate leaders to, uh, uh, to live by. If we're leading churches, our job is to help people share the gospel and live out their faith with their friends. Yeah, fantastic. Love it. it. It didn't start, though, Rich, with the Surf Church Collective, this kind of, you know, uh, global connection between church planters. You and your family went to Hossegor in the so south of France, uh, yeah. one of the hardest to reach areas in one of the hardest to reach nations in the world. Um, and you went there to, to plant church. Could you, could you tell us some of that story? Uh, so we're kind of working backwards in the timeline here because I want to get yeah. to some of your yeah. youth ministry stuff as well. But tell us the the Hossegor story, how you ended up going there, and what those early years were like, and 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 where that's at now um, uh, in the church in Hossegor. Yeah, so 2012 is when we arrived in the southwest of France, and the 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 preface for that is, as I said, I was leading this church called Holy Trinity in Western Supermare, phenomenal church felt so privileged to lead it but we'd been doing mission to the southwest of france for probably around about seven or eight years in fact i got engaged to my wife uh, reggie uh, here in uh, in biritz and we were camping out in this amazing place called hossegor which is one of the best surf spots in europe and uh, we got engaged here and the day after we got engaged we sat on the uh, the steps of this old chapel which i'm in right now um, uh, uh, and it was derelict at the time, and my wife and I uh, just held hands and we prayed that God someday would open up the doors of this chapel um, wow. uh, to yeah. reach the local surface. So we prayed that back in 1999, and um, then began the journey of doing mission here and doing these big kind of gospel parties. We'd come out in September. Uh, there's a big surf competition once a year here, and we would uh, basically work with a local bar put together a gospel party, uh, which would end up having thousands of local surfers come 
Uh, it was just crazy. Uh, French TV would come and film the party. Quicksilver would ring us up and say, hey, what night is your Christian night? Because that's what it became famous as. It was right. known as a Christian night. <laughs> uh, and that's what they'd put flyers. That's what the, the local bar would put flyers out, Christian night. It became known as it's the like R&B night, night, indie night. Christian night. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, mate. And uh, it was mad. I, I mean, I remember when he showed me the flyer, Christian night, I went, you can't put that out. That's the cringiest thing ever. And he says, no, that's what everybody knows this thing as. It's, it's, it's famous for it. So Quicksilver would ring us and say, hey, listen, when is Christian night? We don't want to collide with your night. Uh, and, and what we'd do is we'd show this, it's mad, we'd show this uh, film, a Christian surf movie that would uh, share the gospel with great surfing. And then we'd have uh, bands that we'd bring in from the UK um, and the bar would do what the bar does. And loads of people would come and we would, uh, you know, uh, just have a great time. And uh, we'd pray for people. Uh, we'd talk to people about faith. We'd have little moments where we'd share the gospel, you know, like one minute, two minute little hits. But we just felt there was this momentum uh, yeah. of, uh, of faith and people wanting to explore. But there was nobody to plant a church. So while leading this church in the UK and starting to kind of explore all this stuff about missional church planting, I'm looking at the southwest of France and my wife and I are saying, well, if we don't go, who's going to go? Um, how, how, uh, can, can, we, can we live with the knowledge that there isn't a local church that's really kind of uh, uh, locked into that town. And, it, you know, here it, there isn't a church for two hours north and there isn't a church uh, 40 minutes uh, south. So there's, there's really no churches. And and also, by this time in my journey of faith in ministry, I really wanted to see what would happen if you stripped back everything. If you had no marketing uh, uh, campaign, if you had no, you know, uh, uh, brilliant musical uh, worship group to kick a church off with if you had mm. if you had no collective group of christians that would launch a service yeah, no i just budget. wanted to find out what would happen no budget no nothing <laughs> yeah i wanted to find out what would happen if you just walked up five of us in a van what does god do then and i kind of needed to oh, see and just to clarify for people listening rich when you say five of us you're referring there to you your wife and your three kids just you, your family. Yeah. 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 So at the time, uh, eldest was seven, uh, our, uh, Marnie, uh, my daughter, eight, AJ, and then my young, youngest son, Indiana, little boy of adventure was two. And um, yeah, so we, we resigned from our church in, in Western. My wife resigned from her work in, um, uh, as a nurse. And uh, a friend of ours had asked me the question, how much faith does, does you need to, how much faith do you operate in each week? Uh, to live your life of uh, Christianity. And I thought, wow. yeah, actually, wow. I've got a comfortable, really great church. I've got a lovely house. Kids are in a great school. I've got two cars. And I went, okay, I've got faith for lots of things that, in church, but how much risk is there in my day-to-day wow. -day life? And I wow. thought, no, there's not a lot. And I looked great at the challenge. journey of the disciples in the Bible, and I felt their lifestyle was so different from my lifestyle. Mm. There was an immediacy about... Um, uh, about, you know, the, the, they'd be crying out to the Holy Spirit, leaders, guiders, directors, redirected. They'd have strategy, but they'd be redirected. They'd, they'd, they'd be living from one town to the next town. There was this, this, um, uh, this excitement, uh, an exploration of the world that I wasn't experiencing in my job. Not that I didn't, I loved my job, but I just saw this big gap and I wanted yeah. to strip everything back see what yeah. God would do. And also for my kids, I wanted them to see who Jesus was outside of the institutionalization of church and faith. Wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, we got in the van, we drove to France with zero French, uh, rocked up to Hossegor, and our friends of ours had actually started uh, alongside that journey of mission, some friends from Australia began to pioneer surf church in the summer months. And they had around about uh, maybe five or six people that were uh, were gathering through the summer. Uh, and then there'd be some tourists that would come and join them that would get it up to kind of like 15 or 20 people. And then it would be closed down through the autumn, winter and spring. Uh, and they said, hey, listen, uh, <laughs> you guys are here. Why don't you rock on and take this little group of five people and start to pioneer this church yeah. week in and week out? Yeah. And that's what we did. And there began our journey. And yeah. 
bizarrely, hey, you know, I told you about praying on those steps yeah. um, of that chapel. Well, the local Catholic priest amazingly would, uh, a few years later, give us the keys to that chapel and yeah. um, uh, would say, hey, you can plant Surf Church out of this venue. And so we, we took on this amazing chapel right next to the best surf spot in the whole of France and, yeah. and converted it into a coffee shop, art studio, uh, cinema, gig venue, and a church. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it was it was mad. It was mad. And in between then, you know, in between rocking up in the van and getting the keys to that building, there was a lot of hard yards, Rich. Um, there was a lot of different places that you lived in, including your van, uh, on a number of periods. Tell us a little, you know, I know our time is limited, but tell us a little bit about that that journey in the early days of just going in the community, learning the language, connecting with people, trying to find a, a home dealing with the finances, all of that, all of those kind of challenges you confronted in those early days. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, I, I can sing about the successes, but the successes came at a lot of uh, you know, high price and mis- lots of mistakes made along the way. Mistake number one was we'd miscalculated when school started. So like a day after arriving into France, we discovered that the kids had got to go into school on day two. Um, and we thought we'd have like a month to, to kind of settle in, um, so that wasn't going to happen. So suddenly we're, we're carting off our eight-year-old and seven-year-old off to a school that is completely in French, uh, and they were scared stiff. And, yeah, their first year of education was very hard. My, my son landed in a school where the teacher just ignored him, put him in the corner because uh, he didn't speak any French, obviously, so they just left him to one side. And my daughter was very lucky, and she had a teacher that really wanted to help her learn French. So my daughter learned French within three, four months, uh, and my son was, you know, had, didn't have any French for the first year and was being majorly bullied as being the English kid wow. um, in the school and was just um, uh, in uh, uh, in all sorts of trouble. So it was it was a tough season for the kids. We moved twenty five times in five years. Uh, because me. getting long-term accommodation here is very hard because it's a summer town, 20,000 in the winter, 150,000 in the summer, everybody rents out their house. So every place that we could get in the winter, we'd have to leave in the summer because uh, people would rent it out to the tourists coming in. So we couldn't get stabilized accommodation. Also, we had no no money for this. So we were living off the back of you know savings, some support from some friends, uh, who were helping us uh, uh, and us kind of being creative with getting work here, there and everywhere and trying to be entrepreneurial. Yeah. So there was times that simply we were homeless because we couldn't afford to live anywhere. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there were some very, very tough moments. Yeah, my and I think daughter being asked where... Go on, go on. My daughter being asked by the surf instructor, where can I send the, um, uh, the paperwork uh, for you to sign up? to the classes and she says i don't i don't have a home um yeah yeah uh, and that, that's hard to hear as a uh, a dad who's trying to provide for his family yeah so yeah yes man, and i think it, i think rich it's, those, it's really, those early years were hard yeah and it's really important to hear that because when you talk about yeah we're going to hawaii and el salvador and <laughs> florida and south africa and planting churches yeah. it, it can all sound very glamorous but because i know you and i've known you for the whole time you've been on this journey and I've been to Hossegore and been out there with you and look I know that it's been anything but that and you guys as a family yeah. have made huge personal sacrifices and as you mentioned a moment about ago taken tremendous risks for the gospel in order to see the, the things that are happening now happen so I think it's important to hear that bit of the story but what I want to do now Rich and um, just before we get to the like taking young people on mission trips and and get into some of the practicalities of that and the why of that. Um, You mentioned about the church in Western before you led that church, you were the youth pastor at that church and you had some crazy adventures as a youth pastor at that time as well. So I'd like to hear Rich a little bit about your time as a youth pastor in Western. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about kind of what happened, but also I'm interested to know, given what you know now, given what you've experienced in ministry now, if you had your time again, what would you do in the same way? And what would you do completely differently? So tell us about that time as a, as a youth pastor. 
Yeah, wow. West, Western was a, a, a really rich time. Um, I'd actually come out of another church that I did my first three years of ministry um, in, the, uh, uh, in the middle of the country that actually had been quite hard. And I came out uh, of that church a little bit broken, bruised. They say that the kind of like the burnout rate for youth work is about two years. And at the end of that three-year stint, I was completely burnt out, done, over. Um, and that I was really as a youth pastor at the, that church as well? That was as a youth pastor, and I really struggled. I, I felt that the senior team didn't understand who I was, didn't understand youth ministry. There was a real disconnect. Expectations were not aligned. Um, and I, I just suffered at the hands of some bad line managers and really came out of that place bruised and broken. And in fact, as I left that church on the day that I walked out, uh, was my final service. Uh, they prayed for me uh, and my wife on the stage. And as we left, my line manager, uh, uh, who it turns out had been having an affair through the entire time period he was line managing me. Um, uh, which we would find out retrospectively. But as I, as I walked out, he came to me and he said, Richard, you need to leave ministry. Um, the, the, you're not suited to it. Um, and uh, the best thing you can do is, is just go get a job um, in the secular space. Wow. Uh, and this, of course, there's nothing wrong with getting a job in the secular space. It's, that's absolutely fine. But I was... Um, and you've got to call me to, to full-time ministry. And this was just a real slate upon my confidence. So I left really shaken and broken. Uh, but thankfully, I was going to go work with an amazing team with my mum and dad heading that up. And, um, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, being in that space where they allowed me to be me and understood uh, that God had made me different from many others. We've all been made individually individual. Um so they just really kind of started to work on helping me uh, uh, rebuild from that place of brokenness. And uh, we had 12 young people in the church, and my starting place with those 12 young people was just to say, hey, guys, what's, what's your dream? What's, what's your vision? What, what, what would you like to see happen? And I think that's that so, was the that's so interesting. That's so interesting, Rich, because, you know, all those years, just connecting what you've just said there about, like, what what you're doing now and you know the key role of a pastor to equip the saints for works of service uh and that being something that kind of underpins and undergirds the um ministry philosophy i guess of the surf church collective is you know helping others to become all they can be in god it's just so interesting to hear that when you went into that youth ministry context you, you didn't say right here here's my vision uh, for this youth ministry and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. And who's on board? Come on, let's do this together. Um, you said, "What's your what? What do you dream of? And what's your vision? And what do you see? Uh, and, and how can I help you?" And I I think that's really, really powerful. Um, just a really interesting how how that thread has kind of traced through your ministry there. I think that my parents did an amazing job of. Uh, um, nurturing my individuality while also drawing me into playing a, a role within community. Mm. Um, uh, so th they, they did a really good job of me owning um, uh, duty and responsibility, but mm. also um, facilitating the fact that I got ginger hair and <laughs> uh, I'm slightly wild. Um, and, and that, that, that previous church that I'd had a tough time in was all about the vision of the house, uh, right. the vision of the, of the senior leader. And yeah. if you stepped outside of that and had vision for something else, it's almost like you were backsliding um, and okay. betraying the central, yeah. central thing. So I really think that that was a, a big part of that. It was, a, it was a, a reaction to and an embracing of what I've been taught uh, yeah. by my parents. Yeah. So, yeah, the starting place was, guys, what, what do you want to see happen? So we sat down with those 12 and they, we got a big piece of paper out um, uh, that filled basically the center of the floor, massive, great big wallpaper stuff. And I said, okay, write down your dreams because um, uh, we want God to work in this place and through you. And we're going to go start about fulfilling what God has put in your heart, not what God's put in my heart. Now, yeah. I am a visionary leader um, and vision comes easy to me. 
But having had my vision and individuality so suffocated for a season, I really felt that I wanted to facilitate those guys. So they wrote down some crazy things. And one of those things is they wanted to do a monthly concert. There were many, many things on there. But one of the things is they wanted to do a monthly concert. So I said, okay, we're going to do it. Um, so within the space of a couple of months, we'd started a monthly concert with those 12 young people. They invited their friends and maybe we had 50 people show up. And that concert was, you know, just a band and me sharing the gospel with a bit of comedy. Um, and it was fairly simplistic. We didn't have anything. Uh, we had no budget. We had no nothing, but we just started from where we were. But that thing would grow um, to a monthly event that would have well over a thousand young people, non-Christians primarily, coming to an event called the Silver Dome. Um, and by that time, we'd be renting the premier venue in the town, and uh, and this was all being facilitated by these twelve young people. Um, Amazing. And we yeah. kept that that heart of the twelve, or whoever's on the team, kind of leading things right from the beginning, right the way through to the end. And many of those 12 would actually end up coming to work for me, either as full-time employees or gap year students. And, Brilliant. Um, you Brilliant. Know, uh, so the thing kind of blew up. And in there, we planted uh, youth church, we uh, skate church, we did schools ministry. And, and again, at the heart of these 12 young people, um, uh, the thing just, it just, it, God did something amazing in the midst of it. And our job was to steward it and to, <laughs> to not to wreck it and to try and, you know, uh, affirm those young people, empower, uh, uh them in their life journey. Mm. In fact, I was just hanging out with a girl called Adele, uh, Adele Sutton, who was one of those original 12. She was 12 at the time. And, uh, she's been working for Holy Trinity for the last few years and she's traveled the world helping, um, uh, teenage girls that have been through crazy abuse situations wow. and uh, and she does a whole thing called Revealed where she's she's helping them get over terrible stuff in their past and connecting to Christ. And it's, it's seeing those stories of individual young people who, yeah, yeah we, had, we had big numbers, big events, all the best bands came to play and, you know, uh, you know all of that is great and lovely. But the truth of it is it, it boils down to around about 12 people every time. Mm. Um, uh, Cause if Jesus really threw himself into 12, why would I think I could do anything more than that? And mm. uh, so we tried to keep it uh, small and local in amongst the big crazy crowd. Um, uh, and so yeah. it's beautiful to see these young people grown up now chasing after Jesus in That's ministry. It. That's it. And that, that is what we all hope for in youth ministry um it is that you know in a decade or two's time there are some young people who we invested a little something in in our time as youth leaders who are still loving and following jesus and just being obedient to whatever the call is over their life but are wholehearted in their apprenticeship to jesus that's what we want for youth ministry so i i always think the almost the catch 22 if you like of youth ministry is that you don't really know if it's working until a decade later do you know what i mean because yeah. you, you might have the it's numbers true. you might have that you might have people showing yeah. up but like it, like who cares like what what we care about is that 10 years after they leave our youth ministry they are following jesus wholeheartedly that's yeah. when we know that the youth ministry has been successful and so we never really know do we, we never really know in the moment no. we might get a feel for it we might see what the Lord is doing and be grateful for what he's doing. Um, but it's, it, it's the legacy, isn't it? It's the, it's the long-term impact of that. That really tells us what, what the fruit of our time serving those young people was. And you've seen it there in, in those lives. So you yeah. should look back at it, Rich, then, you know, what, what are the things that you feel like you learned? What are the things that you feel like if, you know, if I was to go back now and have those same 12 young people, these are the things I would do the same. These are the things that now I would do differently. Like, how do you reflect on that? Things I would do the same. Um, uh, I would always start with, hey, wh where are you guys? What do you want to see happen? Um, yeah. I would uh, encourage myself to be me and not to try to be anybody else. Mm. Um, allow my uh, natural character to come through and not live under the uh, the expectations of other youth ministries mm. um 
and I think uh, I think that was important. I was just busy, you know. Regs and I were just being young, wild, and fun, and in love for Jesus, and that was mm. at the forefront. Um, I think that I made uh, as the thing became the big success numerically, and all the infrastructure that would go with that, and the you know big team staff employment. Um, there's moments I ended up serving the machine as opposed to. Um, uh, uh, it was always this tension between the, that 12 and the needs of the thousands. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that continued to be the tension. Um, and so there was a moment, actually, I felt the Lord say, you got to, you got to end this, this, uh, big, the big event that was happening once a month. And that was after about four or five years. And we were, you know, we, We'd have a couple of crazy events. We had one event where we had fifteen thousand show up at a summer festival, and we're having, <laughs> you know, reaching now nearly two thousand. Um, so it's all getting a bit wild and mad, and brilliant because the town, you know, the town is loving it, and we're we're, we're getting awards. We're in the newspapers. We, we've actually got our own article in the newspaper. All, you know, all this stuff is kicking off, and it's it, it, it's everybody's looking at it and going, "This is phenomenal," but. I'm sinking under the administrational managerial drive of it all, and I'm missing just being with the 12. Um, but the Lord said, hey, you need to stop this thing. And I was like, well, I can't stop this thing because it's too successful. So, uh, and how do I let everybody down? Because, you know, this is like the highlight of their month. It's people, you know, <laughs> this is a big thing. So uh, I ran the next event, and it's amazing in that next event, because again, primarily non-Christian kids coming to this thing. So there's, everybody's trying to sneak booze in. There's often fights at these things. We've got the police working with us. These were, these were complicated yeah. events to run, but wonderful. Um, but I sat there, at the, I stood there at the front of this auditorium with thousands of young people in front of me going, what am I doing? I'm in <laughs> trouble. It's like, it's like the anointing had lifted entirely. And wow. I could, and now all that filled me was fear because <laughs> I was doing this without the touch of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So I ran two more events and then uh, I, I quit the thing and I said, we've got to change. And we switched then to running schools ministry um, and investing all of our time and staff into the small um, and how we, can we work with children and young people in schools uh, in lunchtime and after school stuff. And we shifted again to focusing on the individuals as opposed to the corporate big group. And that was good because it was reinventing the thing for me and what I've realized is for me as a leader, I'm a pioneer um, and uh, I'm at my best when I'm pushing into new spaces and experimenting and trying new things. Mm -hmm. And just because something's being a success doesn't mean it needs to last forever. And sometimes you become the victim of your own success. Yeah, um, that's really good. And yeah, uh, yeah and I think that I, I was living under uh, pressure of my own legacy um, and to switch direction was really helpful for me to feel fresh, excited, and to bring energy to the space. And bottom line, with those few young people that I'm responsible for, if I am shattered, done, broken, uh, full of um, resentment to the institution, burnt out, then what, what am I bringing to them? I'm bringing yeah. them a very yeah. bad version of myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, great. We got, you know, people are making taking pictures and putting us in magazines, but the dude who is running it isn't the best with those kids that he committed to walk with then. Mm. Mm. So mm. I, I learned some lessons about the failures that you have when you're in a place of success and how, you know, that you are very vulnerable in those moments of mm. perceived success. So what are we chasing? It taught me about not chasing numbers. I've had those numbers. Um, but like now for the last, for the last 10 years, I can't tell you how many rock up to church on a Sunday to any church that I've been leading. Cause I don't count. Um, because I've lived under that thing where, you know, my, my self-esteem is, my self-esteem is, uh, um, tickled by the fact that there's, you know, an extra 20 people in the service for it's a big one this Sunday. Whoa, mm. that's great. Things must be going well. Or, oh no, we were 20 down. Um, uh, I feel devastated. What's wrong with my preaching? I've been there, done that, um, yeah. uh, lived through all that silliness. So I don't count because yeah. that's not important. What I count is the 12. Mm. Am I still highly invested 
in a few that I'm sending. The people we should be counting is who are we sending? Who am Very I sending good. into mission? Who am That's I sending good. into into a, a lifestyle um, of really following Jesus and being impactful yeah. in their community? That's the yeah. only number I'm interested in not who rocks up to a service or a oh, gig or an event so good that is so good count who we're sending count who's going out and, and doing doing stuff for the lord who's obeying the great commission don't count who's showing up count count who you're sending out yeah. I, I love that that's such oh, a right. challenge and it provides rich a perfect segue actually because mm. we're talking about sending young people out <laughs> or going out yeah. with young people um on on short-term mission trips i wonder if you could just uh like briefly before we get into in, into how we do that with young people, you could talk about your experience either as a young person yourself, but also as a youth leader uh, taking young people away uh, of doing short-term mission and how I'm really interested to know how doing that short-term mission as a young person or as a youth leader uh, formed you in such a way that it in, envisioned you for long-term uh, overseas mission mm. yeah uh so i was maybe 13 or 14 when i went on my first mission trip to poland uh, my dad uh was running european missions uh for elin and uh he he uh invited me to come and also said i've got to pay which was like well hang on a minute i'm 13 uh what do you mean i've got to pay isn't that your job um and uh, <laughs> but my dad been a yorkshireman uh you, know, you have to come uh, and you have to pay <laughs> yeah. laid the responsibility so i started to pray about you know just asking god for that financial miracle for me to be able to go and uh, amazingly um without any advertising or any uh, Facebook message or any uh, uh, prayer letter, uh, I'd really like you to pray uh, for this thing. But also, could you give some money? Yeah. Without any of that, <laughs> without any of that, uh, uh, a family friend came and gave a gift to me of 100, 100 pounds. And that was enough to cover my cost to go on this mission trip. And uh, I went out to Poland with my dad and this team and uh, we preached the gospel in a bunch of places across uh, Poland. And uh, I just saw God doing amazing things. Uh, I saw miraculous healing. I saw incredible salvation. I saw the hunger in people to explore who Jesus was. Mm. Um, uh, I saw poverty. I saw uh, abuse. I saw deprivation on the, you know, uh, chaos on the streets. Um, and it just opened my eyes to a global context, a global picture that, that, that I'd never seen before. Um, and I felt so alive in my faith as I stepped out into mission that it was completely transformative. Yeah. And from that moment on, uh, I knew that I was ruined. All I ever wanted to do from that moment on is to go and share the gospel with people who'd never heard yeah. the gospel before. Yeah. Yeah. Now, my parents were brilliant in helping me contextualize that emotion, that feeling and that calling into a local scenario. So I came back home and I'm going, Dad, I've got to go on the mission field. I've got to go on the mission field. When can I go on the next trip? And he goes, well, your school is your mission field. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's from there that I'd, yeah. with his help and my mum's help, I'd set up a Christian union and, uh, and we'd start to share the gospel with our school friends and that kind of, you know, uh, 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 blew up a little bit as well. And, and we started to do all these little groups. But as a young kid, 13, 14, 15, I was leading uh, and sharing the gospel and going for it. And they heavily invested uh, in, uh, in me and my, my brother and sister. And, man, we made crazy mistakes. I mean, we did stupid, stupid stuff at these little meetings. And, you know, <laughs> but they, they were... Uh, uh, they knew that they were growing leaders. Um, so, uh, so that was a real turning point. So I, I knew how to, I was excited about mission out there on the field, but I was able to bring mission to where I was living. But the passion to go on adventure and to see new places, to bring the gospel to where the gospel hadn't been brought before was just totally running through my uh, veins. Yeah. Um, so from that moment onwards, I was... When can, where can I go? When can I go? What can I do? How can I get on a trip with my dad? Mm. Um, and that would remain mm. right the way through my 
adult life until 37, where I actually went onto the mission field in the south of France. Yeah. And uh, wow, what a feeling that was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, my next question was going to be, you know, what, why is it valuable for us as youth leaders to take our young people away on an overseas short-term mission trip? But at, at least in part, you've answered that because by doing mission globally, you get envisioned for the possibility of mission locally. And I, I loved how you described, yeah. you went away, you saw God do, you saw and experienced and were used by God to see amazing things happen. And it envisioned you for what you could do at your school. And you started a, a Christian yeah. union. And so that's at least one reason to take our young people away yeah. on an overseas mission trip, because it, it envisions them for what they can do in terms of mission and reaching their friends in a, in a local context. But what, what, what are maybe some of the other reasons that, that taking young people away on an overseas mission trip is, is a valuable thing to do, Rich? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you are planting, when you're planting a church or leading a ministry in another country, it's a massive encouragement to that, to that local uh, uh, context to have people come in to bring support, to bring encouragement, to bring prayer. It's quite lonely out on the mission field. So whenever uh, uh, Tim, for instance, you would rock up with a bunch of young people, that that was a massive highlight of of our season and our time. And it would also raise the agenda of prayer and support, uh, both you know uh, spiritually and financially. Uh, as well for what we're doing because often when yeah. you're out in the mission field it's it, it's it's a uh, uh, it's a tough place um it's a a place of battle spiritually and there's all sorts of prices that are being paid uh, uh, uh for a family so for yeah. us as a family when we were suddenly surrounded by uh you know 50 20 50 100 whatever it was young people coming to spend a week with us my young people just uh, my uh, old children would just explode in faith because they were around other christians that were encouraging them and inputting to them praying into their hearts and lives yeah. um so it, it was massive for us there were major highlight moments um it came it came with some problems of course um yeah. in that in reality when you're in there for such a short period of time and you can't speak the language there's only so much you can do yeah um so and it's know, often it's often practical isn't it it's often practical stuff yeah. that you can do you know you can you can serve people you can fix stuff you can paint stuff you yes. can you know because you yeah unless you're going to an english speaking country you know the amount of you yeah. know evangelism that you can do in that in that sense is limited but what i'm really uh encouraged to hear you say though rich is you know i often think with short term mission trips and i think it is probably true that um you, you you go with the mindset like we're going to serve this group of people in this nation or in this community wherever it is but usually what happens is that, that god does more in you <laughs> than he does in, in, in them as a result of you going and participating in the mission of god in, in that way but i'm really encouraged to hear you say actually no you know as much as it's of benefit for the young person it really does benefit those who are out on the field as well even if that's just the encouragement of having a bunch of people there who were cheering you on and just helping you out with a few things, you know, it just lifts your spirits a little bit in that what can be a lonely and isolated place. So it, so it does benefit the local ministry and the local missionary uh, as, as well when we, when we go and, and serve. It, it, it's so I was just driving yesterday through the Basque country with my, my, uh, my family and my two eldest who are now 20 and 19 uh, were reflecting upon uh, having those young people come when they were little kids. Oh, and really? Just yesterday, yeah, just <laughs> yesterday, mate. They were saying what an amazing week that was, um, and and now being that age, they were talking about how good it feels to be encouraging other kids who are on the mission yeah. field. We yeah. just spent a year traveling around the traveling around the world as a family. Uh, basically on, on one long short-term mission trip. <laughs> yeah. um, so we've been to uh, about, you know, 15 different countries. And, and as a family, we've just tried to minister to those leaders and their families, their kids, uh, yeah. wives, uh, husbands, children, leaders, team, you know, and just tried to do what you guys did for us when we were doing this. Yeah. And my kids are really invested in trying to impact those leaders kids because that's what happened when you guys were around them so it does leave a legacy that's 
uh, that's very, very significant. Um, I think we made the switch, which was important when, when we had mission teams coming. We recognized this is our moment to really impact those who are arriving with us. Um, and how can we share the gospel, inspire those young people in missional living? So what, what they're experiencing here in France when they're with us, how can they take that back to the UK or wherever they're coming from? Yes. Uh, because that was what happened to me when I yeah. was doing mission yeah. when I was a kid. So I wanted other young people to have that same yeah. life lesson going back. Yeah, that's really good. And, and you know, we again, you, you, I was going to ask you about what are some of the key things we need to consider when when planning a, a mission trip, planning to take like, young people away on a, a short-term overseas mission trip. And um, that was one of the things we did when, when we did that together, wasn't it, Rich, in in, uh, in Hosegar, is we, we did morning and, and evening sessions for the young people who we were bringing with us. So we obviously did things to serve the community. We obviously did things to serve the church locally and to serve the local mission and the mission field. But then we did stuff for the young people who were coming out to invest in them. So I, yeah. I remember like I did all of the morning sessions and it was all we did. Basically, it was a series about equipping those young people how to share the gospel and how to share their personal testimony and how to answer tough questions and all that kind of stuff. And then you were taking the evening sessions and you were talking about mission and what it's like to church plan, and you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and of course, there was you know, worship and prayer. So that's one of the things to consider, isn't it? It's, of course, we're considering primarily how bringing a bunch of young people into this space, this nation, this uh, community, wherever it is, can serve these these local people but we also want to consider okay how can we leverage this opportunity to invest in the young people that we're that we're bringing out mm. yeah I, I think um yeah we were very intentional about that and uh, 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 and that's because previous to those moments that had teams uh, uh that had come and their expectations of what they wanted to achieve in the local space were just unrealistic. So, you know, the questions would be asked, how many people have you led to the Lord this week by the senior pastor that sent the kids? Yeah. Um, yeah. What did you do at the crusade night? Uh, and how many people did you pray for on the street? And uh, and they were just not how I was, you know, when I've got a bunch of foreign-speaking young people um, let loose on my town, it, because we're a, a relational church, it, it can wreak havoc. Um, yeah. So, uh, you, you know, I think you, when you're planning something like this as a youth leader, you have to have realistic expectations of what you want to achieve and talk that through very clearly with the the, the missionaries on the ground and yes, also yeah. what the expectations are with the parents who are sending those kids and the senior pastor. So there's, there's a, 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 an accord um of uh a, a vision and a, a a recognition of what the end result is going to be um that's really really essential so yeah i think it's it's an opportunity when young people are all abroad some in a new culture a new space you you're able to you know to inspire them and excite them about their journey their life they're outside of their normal normal uh, lifestyle uh, gives them opportunity to think, and I think that's a, a big, a, a big moment to be utilised. So yeah, that was yeah. very intentional for us. Yeah, absolutely. So, so give us, Rich, um, all of your best uh, short-term mission trip hacks. So I, I want to take a deep dive here on some of the practical implications. There's all sorts of things to consider, isn't there? There's all the. I know. I know you love your health and safety, Rich. I know that's a big thing for you. So I'm sure you're going to want to <laughs> sarcasm. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to want to speak uh, a little bit to that. Um, so some of that stuff. Uh, yeah, like the transportation considerations. Like maybe you could talk to us about some of the uh, uh, ministries and organizations that would help to put together a, a missions trip, just or give us the, the practical, the practical stuff now about the actual how we do this. Yeah. Um, okay. So the, the hacks. Um, uh, it, it's really, really important that when you're planning this thing that you, you are w winging it when you're abroad, 
does not work with a group of young people. You've got to have <laughs> systems in place. So, yeah. so, uh, and having tried to wing it with young people, I know this from experience. You've <laughs> got to have systems in place. So, so organization is key. Systems are key. Com clear communication uh, between you and the young people, you and the parents is going to be essential. The, the plan cannot be uh, 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 neglected. It needs to be highly valued and you need to come at it with time. So getting into the conversation uh, with the place that you want to go. Um, and my recommendation is always to start small. So uh, instead of like, okay, let's take out 50 young people to this location that you've never been before and you've no idea what the infrastructure is, go and check it, go test it yourself, go, go with the, your leadership team and, and see what there is on the ground to do. But test the thing out before you take a whole bunch of young people. Because when this goes wrong, it can really go wrong. So you've got to know, feel confident you're taking your young people into something that's going to be beneficial for them and that the, the local crew understand who's coming and what your expectations are and you understand their expectations. So the conversation at the front end is essential. Um, uh, price points are really important as well. Um, so you can try to run this as cheap as you possibly can, which is often what we do at a youth, youth level is we, you know, we want to make this as affordable for as many young people as we can. But when that affordability is causing major problems, the other side in that you're having a, a, a half experience because you've cut so hard on the budget. So the food is terrible. There's no excursions to go explore the community. You know, all you're doing is centered around the church. Uh, uh, the accommodation is everybody is for 12 days sleeping on the floor. You have to think through um, the the price points and are they sustainable? Is that of, is that going to enrich somebody's experience, or is it going to really pull it down? It's not that it should be the most expensive thing in the world, um, but you you got to think through the the yeah. cost cutting exercise that we do because yeah. often we just try to make it as cheap as we can, and then we place pressure upon the host to yeah. fix all those things. Yeah. So you rock up, there's no transportation being organized because you're trying to do it as cheap as you can. So then the, the local church is busy trying to organize a thousand cars, um, which yeah. becomes a massive headache. Um, and actually, because you weren't... Yeah, in, in terms of like fundraising, pe like people in local churches, as in people in your local church, as opposed to the missionaries kind of side, in your yeah. local church, like um, they love to give to young people doing mission yeah. and going on overseas mission trips. Yeah, they so do. if you do some fundraisers in your church um like uh, you will find that people will give to that and you can subsidize your budget significantly through that yeah 100 percent. And, and not only that it's when you can fundraise within your local church so you're able to help that budget but also go in and be a blessing upon the church or the missionary project that you're going to, you know, support, help, and yeah. you know, uh, bring young people to, then that's massive because, you know, the, there's teams that came out here and they would give us a gift. That honestly, kept us <laughs> practically, you know, at the time that that would help us stay in a house as opposed to sleeping in the van in the field. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, 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 there's major things that you can do coming from a wealthy nation like the UK that can really help people in the mission field. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think clear communication at the front end, systems, uh, a, a tick list, um, and then review. Hey, uh, lots of people don't do the debrief. They don't debrief. So they go have this experience, um, and then they don't really talk about with the local team there that they've been to and with the young people that have been up, what worked, what didn't work, what will you change for next time? It's just, okay, thank the Lord, that, that's on and finished. Now we've got the next problem. But, um, yeah, but also, so also the, Rich, with, with that, it, it, it's, it, it's the practical debrief, yes, and that, that's helpful. But it's so important to take time to really, with the young people, to really draw out all that the Lord yeah. did in them. You know, the thing that you described where, oh, yeah, you know, God's just given me this appetite for mission. Okay, Rich, well, what does that look like in your local school? You know, that stuff. Hey, like, brilliant, mate. That is so important on the other side, isn't it? Yeah, and I think journaling that. So what often now when I'm going and speaking at places or, or doing little kind of mini events, I, I, I buy everybody a journal and I get them to write down uh, what God's talking to them about. Of course, we can do that 
analog <laughs> with pen and paper. Uh, but there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting young people to put to video diary their experiences, uh, mm. the highs and lo lows of things. And, and what I want on a missions trip is I want highs and lows. I want there to be mountaintop moments and I want there to be some pressure moments where things are uncomfortable and it's not meeting expectation and it's not just plush and wonderful and everything's a sing song because yes. it's in the hard moments where you're being tested. You know, purposely, we took all our young people to the top of a mountain and pushed them, um, uh, if you remember. I do remember uh, it well, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, we wanted them to go through the journey of conquering stuff, overcoming stuff. Yeah. Now, for some young people that you bring in, they're overcoming stuff on a daily basis. Yeah. They've got resilience, you know, down. There's other young people that are having a, 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 a much more... Uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, a chilled out experience in their youth where things are comfortable and they need to be pressured and and pushed a little bit. So, um, yeah, that debriefing thing is really good and journaling their experiences as they go, making a, a video as you as you do the experience together as a corporate group. Yeah. But yeah. with the video thing, hey, with that video thing, let's just make sure that often the video is just a highlight reel of what the young people our young people did who were on the short-term mission. Yes. We need to make sure that we remember to highlight actually what the mission does. Very good. And the difference that they're making on the ground. Because yeah. yeah. I see lots of videos come out which are basically, oh, look, there's Johnny that I gave 20 quid to who's yeah. helping that poor person. Yeah. And really the story is about Johnny, not about yeah. the yeah, the good. people in the locality. So yeah. I think for video editors and, you know, we need to think about how we tell the story of what's going on in the location that we're going to do mission. Yeah. And I guess there's a there's a couple of ways to get young people away on short term mission, Rich, isn't there? There is the kind of package holiday version, if you like, which is where yeah. you would work with an organization. Say, like I know Urban Saints, for example, will do a go go away to Mexico and build a house. Um, and then you've got the DIY version, which is you've got a connection with a local missionary from your church. You 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 talk with them, you work it out, you make you do the plans, and you take your young people and you you serve in that way. So those those are a couple of ways that that we can do it. Rich, I know that our time is up, and so I'm just going to ask you any any final uh, thoughts, closing words that you'd want to say to youth leaders listening about taking your young people away on short term mission. Yeah. I do. As you've asked the question, I'll, uh, I'll definitely like to do that, mate. I think that we need to remember that faith should be adventurous. Um, uh, this, if, you're, if your Christianity is boring, uh, if your uh, experience of leadership is boring and painful and, you know, it's just like you feel like you're going, where, going nowhere, doing nothing effective, then you need to rethink what it is that you do who it is that you're investing in and where it is that you're going. Uh, I think that when you are walking with young people and with Christ into the mission field, whether that's at home or abroad, faith comes alive. It's yeah. supposed to be uh, outside of the box of church meetings. We come together to celebrate God's goodness, but we go together to bring God's goodness to the world. And we cool. spend too much time together, not enough time going. And um, the mission field is the moment to inspire young people and yourself to a life of adventure in faith so you got to get out there yourself and you got to get young people out there and you know i mean I, for many years i used my holidays to go and do mission trips um uh because there was no other space in my diary but i had to get out there to do it so there's lots of things that can ties down to the uh um there's nothing wrong with the regularity and normality of life but these these watershed moments where you step outside of your bubble um, really a, a great moments to see God yeah. turning up and showing off in different places around the world. <laughs> it educates your heart and, you know, enriches your spirit and pushes you deeper into your faith. And without it, um, I think that, um, yeah, uh, uh, I, I don't know who I would be. It's been such an important part of my life. Um, a lot of people are deconstructing right now. Um, when you are out in the marketplace sharing the gospel, uh, you're only ever constructing um, uh, wow. Wow. A, a beautiful story of who Jesus is to people around you. So um, mm. uh, questions are super important, but um, uh, uh, we've also got some answers that we can share with people. Yeah. Rich, that's so good. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, but more than that, thank you to you and, and to your family for your life, uh, your life of mission. You, you, uh, constantly inspire me rich i mean that uh, sincerely 
um you're the, you're absolutely the real deal you're living it out there you know day day in day out um and you remind me that as i get older <laughs> it's no excuse for um for a you know a, a mundane christianity um but that i can continue uh, to be obedient to god when things feel scary and i can t- continue to, mm. to 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 use that old story to to step out of the boat and walk with jesus on the water uh, even as mm. family responsibilities increase and you know all of that kind of stuff we we can still do that and and you, your life and, and your family inspire me in that rate rich so thank you so much and thank you for joining us on the podcast tim it's been an absolute joy uh, to speak to you mate loved every second fantastic and to all of you guys who are listening uh, just thank you thank you for what you are doing uh, to serve young people where you are it's so, it's so important it's so important what you're doing to invest in the lives of young people and our hope and our prayer is that this conversation would have inspired you uh, in your own walk with God but also would maybe inspire you to think about uh, taking your young people away on an overseas mission trip maybe this is something that just you've never done before maybe it feels scary maybe it's not on your radar but we want to encourage you to, to to think and to pray about it as a result of this conversation it's talking about taking your young people away can't wait to see you at limitless festival the 5th to the 9th of august on stafford showground it may not be hostigore in the south of france but it's going to be just as sunny. I believe in it in faith. So limitlessfestival.co.uk is where you can get your tickets for that. Keep going. Don't give up, guys, because what you are doing, serving young people, is so very important. God bless, and we will see you next time on the Limitless Leadership Podcast.